Hello and welcome to another episode of Immigration and Mobility Decoded, a podcast about global immigration and mobility. I am excited to welcome uh, the esteemed Greg Legal to the show today. Uh, for our listeners, Greg and I go way back here at Envoy Global. If you've been following us, uh, we've definitely done a ton of webinars in the past, but this is the first podcast we are doing together. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for hopping on the show today and excited to to chat with you. Excited to chat with you, and, and thanks for having me. I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, that I wasn't one of the first guests, there, but you know, I'll, I'll take it as we get it. Uh, my apologies. We will, you know, I, I we can take that up with with our colleague Erin. I think you know she she kind of was. Uh, no, I'm just I'm just messing with Erin. Um, no, I I'm yeah. I don't know what happened there. I think you know DB and Brendan they just they just kind of pushed themselves to the front of the line on that yeah. on that yeah. one. You gotta, you gotta go with the big wigs first. Exactly, exactly. But uh, Greg, we're we're recording this the uh, Tuesday after Thanksgiving, so I uh, just wanted to just kind of ask how your Thanksgiving holiday was. Um, any travels? Anything good like that? Yeah, so I've been traveling a lot actually lately, which has been good. Uh, so family and work um, was down at the Austin Relocation Council a few weeks back, and then the Southern California Relocation Council right after that. Um, both amazing conferences, amazing sessions, amazing people. Really, really cool to see what you know everyone's working on in the mobility space, sort of more broadly. And it was really exciting to also be able to share, obviously, a little bit about you know what we've been working on here at Envoy and, and how we kind of see the space evolving. Um, for Thanksgiving itself, it was great. Um, I we always go down to my in-laws down in Atlanta, so uh, got back from New York late Sunday night, packed up, had a back down Monday morning and uh, it was great. Certainly the weather was better down there than it is in here for anyone who's in <laughs> Chicago listening. You know what I'm talking about when it's 20 degrees and that's without the wind chill right now. So uh, it was a good Thanksgiving. How about you? Great Thanksgiving here. Glad you had a uh, great holiday. I uh, just uh, most of my family is in the in the Chicagoland area, so not too much travel involved, but you know, it's always nice to uh, get those days off and just kind of lay back, eat some good food. Uh, we have a tradition going where I don't know if you've ever done rolly ball, but my brother-in-law organizes a group. So I think that's like year five now of rolly ball on the Black Friday. So that's always a fun time. Um, so I'd never heard of rolly ball before I moved to Chicago. I think for <laughs> anyone who's listening who's not from Chicago it's like, and how would you describe it? It's like bumper cars with basketball, basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Except, yeah. except without a bucket, it's, you just kind of fling it at the board. It's yeah. a, like part wiffle ball, part bumper cars, part basketball on Super 10 fun. minutes. Yep. Exactly. Super, Super fun. fun. Um, so Greg, before we hop into, I want to definitely want to chat and, you know, learn, you know, talk with you about the conferences uh, and regional events that you've been going to uh, learn some of those insights, um, especially as we kind of are looking to, you know, wrap, wrap the year up and look ahead to 2024. Uh, but first want to properly introduce you, talk a little bit more about your background. So you are the VP of product at Envoy Global and you oversee product management, design, learning, and development. Uh, you're responsible for setting the product vision, strategy, and roadmap uh, for Envoy Global. Um, you also help the internal teams within the company, the affiliated law firm, uh, and clients. You help them improve um, their skills to get the most out of the Envoy platform. Um, anything I missed? 
No, I think that I think that kind of sums it up. I mean, you know, I think one of the kind of the, the fun things about the job is the fun thing about the job for me, like from a, like a product and design standpoint, is obviously building software that you know our clients use, whether our clients are you know our own teams or they're you know external customers or whether they're you know the law firms that actually use our software uh, on the back end to prepare petitions and so on and so forth. But like seeing sort of the light bulbs go off um, when they start using it and they see how it's just, it's a very different experience. I think a lot of sort of traditional law firms have Um, and, and yet it's still complicated at times. Right. And so I think bringing those two things together, like you have the, the, the customer side of things and then making sure that they have the support through the learning and development through that, you know, that training piece, I think is really, really powerful. It's a really powerful combination and it's, uh, you know, lucky to be able to do that on a daily basis. And bringing those, those aspects together, it, it's, I, it's fascinating when I, when I, uh, ever since I've met you, your, your background, um, for those who don't know, you hold a PhD in soci- sociology, uh, from the university of Chicago. Um, and your research focused on how technology impacts organizations, um, work processes and, uh, labor markets and, you, I guess, I guess to start, what drew you to those areas of study and how have you applied those to your career and your current roles? I feel like you're like, you have this awesome background and where you are and just kind of like combining everything. I, I think the way that you talk about it now is I think I have what's called a non-traditional, background, <laughs> right? like a non-traditional career path, if you will. Um, I mean, I sort of, the short answer is, is like I got into those areas. I was interested in those areas because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be super poor. Um, you know, after I graduated from college, I was working over in Europe doing research, like labor market research. Um, like I was at, and still am like a total geek and um, was doing a bunch of work on that and, and really wanted to stay in Europe. And I'm going to be dating myself by saying this, but, you know, it was at the time, like, right around the first dot-com boom where things just like exploded, right? And, and things were taken off. And I think there was some tendency to be like, oh, you're American, you must know something about computers, which of course was not at all true, but um, it was a way for me to actually stay in Europe. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got into tech in, in the first place was was literally just, I, I wanted to stay in Europe uh, and, and working in software is a kind of a way for me to do that, which is probably not what most people want to hear, but uh, the day before I was supposed to fly back to the States, I got a call from a friend who was working at a startup, uh, smaller company at the time. Um, it still exists, unfortunately, <laughs> well, unfortunately but it's sad. Uh, so it was a company called Yahoo. Uh, some of you, if anyone who's a little bit older may have heard of it. Um, but they were thinking about how they were going to roll out e-commerce products across Europe. And so they were looking to to hire in that area and it was like i said it was the i was supposed to fly out saturday this is friday afternoon i gave the woman who was hiring a call and said hey i'm super interested and she was like when can you come down for an interview and i said monday morning you know hung up the phone called my parents said don't pick me up tomorrow uh i'll call you when i when i figure stuff out so that's how i how i kind of ended up in in tech um and what was really interesting is you know, after the whole tragedy of 9-11, um, some of you may remember that some of the, the hijackers were all on H-1B visas, or a lot of them were, right? And, and so 
understandably so, like the government came down pretty hard on that program after that. And so a lot of our developers that were sitting in Europe were actually folks that couldn't get their visas renewed here in the US. Uh, and so we had like just amazing talent, amazing talent that it's not that uncommon to like, you know, the sort of the current state of affairs, unfortunately, in the US, but where you had these amazing people who couldn't be employed in the United States for, for a period of time. And so obviously, you know, the company didn't want to lose them. And so they parked them overseas. And I think you see companies are doing that right now. Like if, if they can't get somebody on H1B, they might park them up in Canada for a couple, you know, a year, months or, or whatever it might be. Uh, and so we were doing the same thing, right? Um, and these were people that really had helped develop foundational technologies, FTP, SSL, you know, things that we use on, on sort of a daily basis. And so at some point, I just, I kind of got to the point in my career at uh, Yahoo where I was like, all right, I either move to California um, or I move and, and do something else. And so I um, made the decision at that point to kind of just do something else. Uh, and that's what brought me to, to uh, that's what brought me to Chicago. Um, and I think anytime you have like those career transitions, you're always kind of looking for ways to build bridges and explain why you took a eight year break to go do something else in between, you know, roles or whatnot. And, and so I was really interested in this whole idea of once again, thinking back to those software developers, these are just amazingly talented people that our country doesn't want. Why is that? And so that's kind of how I got interested in the whole, you know, labor market and technology strategy because it all kind of folds together. Does that make sense? For sure. For sure. So how how have your how's your background and you know your research when it came time to put together your dissertation and just things that you've been learning over the years how have you applied those to your your current position and you know since you've been at uh, Envoy and working on the, the the platform and things like that yeah so a lot of my research was on um, technology adoption in organizations and I did my dissertation was actually more on how do um, professional associations uh, and companies actually shape economic policy or government policy. And so like on a day-to-day -day basis, I would say it's not directly correlated to what I do right now, right? But I think one of the things that you learn going through a place like UFC is you learn how to ask questions uh, and you learn how to like dig really, really deep to understand what the problem is. And if you can figure out what the problem is and actually coming up with a solution is tends to be the easier side of things, right? Like fundamentally understanding the problem, I think is harder. Um, and, and so to that extent, you know, what I learned in grad school is something that I use each and every day, right? Certainly like when I started Envoy, Yes, I had a familiarity with what a green card was or an H-1B was or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't have necessarily like incredibly in-depth knowledge about every single visa type. And, you know, what are all the requirements for this visa type or that, you know, uh, nothing along those lines. But it, it, it certainly has been really helpful in sort of broadly understanding the space uh, and then being able to go deep into certain areas where you need to have that kind of depth of knowledge in order to be able to, you know, understand the problem and propose a solution that's going to, you know, meet the needs of our, of our clients. What have, you know, not to date ourselves here, but 
uh, historically, maybe, um, or within the last 10, 15 years, what were some of the biggest problems uh, within organizations when it came to managing their immigration or mobility programs? I mean, in some ways, it's it was sort of the scary thing is a lot of it hasn't changed, right? Um, it's it's absolutely fascinating to me, and I, th- I think it's it's such an area of opportunity that we're just scratching the surface when it comes to immigration technology or sort of like global mobility technology more broadly. I think we've made massive, massive changes or uh, improvements over the last several years. But in comparison to a lot of other areas, you know, we're still sort of, um, there's a lot of of room to grow and a lot of room to improve. And and I think that's actually really exciting because now we get to use all these new technologies and deploy them in really unique ways. Um, But the problems that we're solving are are still sort of the core problems that we had, you know, from several years ago. Um, You know, and so to my mind, like when I look at the immigration space, and, and you know this from like doing like the, you do this, the uh, Envoy Immigration Trend Survey and things like that every year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for, for the folks that are listening, maybe you can just talk a little bit about that and then I can kind of bring it back together. Yeah, so the Envoy Global's Immigration Trend Survey is an annual report uh, based off of a survey of 500 plus HR professionals, uh, mainly based in the U.S., where we ask them their opinions and thoughts on the current state of immigration in the U.S., uh, both from a like you know in a snapshot in time of uh, do you approve of the administration's handling of employment-based immigration to more on, on the employment-based side. Um, what are their common challenges? Uh, what are their thoughts on proposals um, from like DHS or DOL um, and things that they would like to see uh, improvements, if you will, the U.S. government to make uh, to the employment based immigration process, um, typically which center around like faster processing, uh, more transparency um, and just easier way to do things, um, as well as, you know, you mentioned the H-1B, but, you know, higher, higher number of H-1B visas uh, to be made available. Um, and actually, we are in the process of putting together our 2024 version, which will be out in early uh, Q1 of 2024. But, but that's awesome. But we also ask them things like, you know, what are your concerns when, yeah. when you're standing up a global mobility program? Like, what, what's the stuff that, that you value the most as, say, an HR professional or that your employees um, you know, value the most and things like that. And I think we've seen that across like study over study, like the results don't really, they change, but they don't change dramatically. Year no. year. Like a lot of the same problems, a lot of the same concerns that folks have a couple of years ago, they still have, right. Which makes sense, right. HR professionals are, are that employee experience is, is top yep. of mind, right. How they're able to do things like, you know, around reporting, how they're able to get sort of greater insights into their employee population, how they're able to sort of benchmark against competitors and things like that. And so the, the, the thing that I think is really exciting is that you have these fundamental problems that clearly exist. And, you know, when I'm, whether it was at ARC or at SC, uh, RC or any of these other conferences that you go to, you see the same sort of problems kind of coming up over and over again. Uh, and I think we're in a really unique position now as, as both an, company, but also as an industry to start solving some of these problems 
in, in really meaningful ways. Um, and what I get really excited about is how we're actually going to go about and, and solve them. And I think there's, we're finally getting now to a point and it's, it's something I think that Envoy Canley has, has put at the forefront, uh, more so than, you know, some other solutions out there is we're not just building a solution for one audience. We're trying to build a solution that's more holistic, right? So that it meets it meets the needs of HRs, but it also meets the needs of the employees that are impacted. You know, this is like such an important part of their process, right? This is their life's journey. Like the outcome of this is going to determine, you know, can they live where they want to live? Can they work where they want to work? You know, can they you know raise their family where they want to raise their family and so on and so forth? So that employee experience is really, really important. That HR experience is really, really important. But then there's also the the law firm experience, right? How mm -hmm. do we um, make that experience as robust and rich and as seamless for them as possible so that they can kind of provide the type of amazing service that they want to provide? So um, I think we've made like some really amazing strides over the last, you know, several years. Uh, but I still think we're, you know, there's, there's a lot we can still do, which is super exciting. Definitely, definitely. So actually, maybe if we want to dive into the employee experience side a little bit, I guess in in your time in this, in this field, what has traditionally been like the weakest area of uh, the employee experience side and how has, how has, you know, uh, immigration technology such as Envoy helped bridge that gap and improve the employee experience? So, Back like when I was in, in grad school, and, and I think there's, a, you know, there's still a lot of firms out there that do this, right? Like immigration was a pen and paper type business, right? Everything was done on pen and paper. Like they would, you would get a, you might get a questionnaire that was like in a Word document or an Excel file. Uh, you know, you you'd get an email where they're asking you for certain information, you respond to it. Super, super clunky, super old fashioned. Um, and it, it's sort of, you know, for anyone who's ever done their own taxes, it's the exact same type of experience, right? It's awful, right? Like nobody likes doing their taxes. Nobody likes filling out, you know, long questionnaires where, you know, it's like, you know, you ever get a PDF where you're trying to fill out that PDF and for the love of God, they just didn't make that one field an input box. And so you try to type it in and it either cuts off the letters. It doesn't let you enter the information that you need. You get so frustrated and you want to pull your hair out. And as you can see, like, I, I don't, I can't afford that. Right. Um, and, and so I think when we think about what the employee experience should be, it's about that, right? It's like, think about all the consumer technology that you use on a daily basis, whether it's Gmail, whether it's, you know, uh, Insta or Snap or any of these other TikTok, any of these other tools out there, they're super easy to use. They're really, really intuitive. Um, you know, I was sitting there with my, I have two kids and I was sitting there with one of them last night and, and my wife asked, well, how do I do X, Y, and Z in my phone? And my daughter just grabbed it. It was like, duh, 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 and handed it over and it was done. Right. And, and she didn't get, there wasn't like a, a telephone book manual that she had to read to understand how to do that. She just knew how to do it because it was that easy to kind of figure out on, on your own. And so I think when we think about what the employee experience should be, it's providing for both the employee and the employer that type of ease of use when it comes to these processes that are complex and opaque and you know, not particularly transparent and so on and so forth. And there's no reason why we can't do that. Right. 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 Do you, do you think 
that uh, I guess, why do you think that is that immigration and maybe some uh, historically other platforms or et cetera, that they've been these clunky things, like you mentioned, the, the comparing it to taxes, where it's kind of like lag behind, where um, I love the comparison to some, um, you know, consumer brands or B2C. And it kind of makes me think that, like, is there an aspect where some B2B historically, you know, it was just the lag behind because it's always been done this way. Um, do you think it's reflective of that or because immigration, particularly within the U.S., it's, you know, you have to go through the government for a lot of it. And when it comes to immigration, historically, they've been slow to adopt new digital technologies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's certainly part of it, mm -hmm. right? I think part of it's a, a question of investment, mm -hmm. um, you know, building really good products isn't, it's not easy. It's, it's certainly not cheap. Um, and so I think having the capital at your disposal to be able to build something like that is really, really important. And I think a lot of, you know, your sort of typical mom and pop uh, immigration law firm isn't going to have access to capital to be able to make that type of investment, right? We're really fortunate in, in that we can do that. Um, at the same time, I, I do think that there's a lot of B2B software out there that historically was just like, yeah, it sucks, but it works, right? It gets the job done. It doesn't do it in an easy way, right? Uh, in fact, there certainly are, are examples from like sort of the history of software development where you know, most of those companies weren't making their money off the software. They were making their money off the implementation and the maintenance and the training and the, you know, all that kind of stuff that you need to, to keep that software up and running and upgraded and so on and so forth. So I think you've seen a shift over the last several years, you know, like on the HRIS side of things, I think Workday was one of the bigger ones that sort of initiated that shift where you have, yes, there's always been sort of human capital management type software, payroll management type software, all that kind of stuff. But how do we make it more intuitive? How do we make it more user-friendly? How do we make it easier simply to use for people? And so I think there is this shift in the B2B space, recognizing that we can take these business processes and we can quote unquote consumerize them, right? By making them, um, more intuitive by making them, you know, are they going to be as, as flexible and easy to use as like a, you know, as a TikTok? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, that should be the goal. Right. Um, and I think for example, like going back to the tax example, you know, Intuit's done an amazing job at that. Right. Mm -hmm. If you've ever pulled up TurboTax recently and you had previously used TurboTax, they're not asking you to go through and fill out, you know, give us all of your information over the last 10 years again. It's like, Hey, let's see what's changed. Yeah. Right. Let's see what's changed in your tax situation since last time we did your taxes. Yeah. This is the information that we have on file about you. Yep. What do we need to update? Right. Yeah. And so there, there's ways of just of, of building that where you're reducing that friction. Uh, and, and by the way, reducing that friction isn't just a better experience. It also produces better outcomes. Yeah. Right? Because the data quality is better. Um, you know, there's less escalations and, and so on and so forth. So, there's a lot of really good business reasons, you know, to build in that way, as opposed to what we might've done in the past. Definitely. The TurboTax is such a great example. Uh, just, I know, you know, I think they're 
depending on who you ask, anyone's going to have an opinion on TurboTax versus uh, H&R Block versus I think Credit Karma now or another one. Uh, but to your point, it is very nice that come that time of the year when you log in, it has all your information and asks you questions. And, you know, depending on your financial background or your background, you could be done with your taxes in an hour or so. Yeah. Um, and to your point, yeah, like why can't immigration be like that in, in some ways? Um, moving to the HR side of things, um, where, what are, when you're, when you're, when you're speaking with either, you know, you know, current Envoy clients or, um, you know, a fellow, um, industry leaders, what are they looking for and what are their challenges, uh, when it comes to immigration technology, um, or global mobility technologies? So I think for everyone in our space, right, the, the last year and a half, two years has been hard, right? It, it's, there's, there's no way around it. Um, you know, whether it's the layoffs, whether it's just sort of the, the state of the economy, whether it's the political climate when it comes to immigration, it's been challenging over the last few years, COVID and so on and so forth. And so I think that the one constant theme that I hear from everyone that I've been talking to is we're being asked to do less with more, Right. And, and, and I think as a solution provider, a vendor meeting the needs of those clients, we have a, both a responsibility, but also an opportunity to figure out how do we help those, our clients do less with more, right? And that's where I think sort of the promise of technology comes in. And that's where I think it gets really exciting is, of course, you could always do it how you've always done it, right? But technology should make your life easier. It should allow you to do things um, more efficiently, better at scale. And by the way, also then create that space so that service component can really shine through. And, and so that less with more is, you know, it's not just that those companies have laid off folks. They've also laid off mobility teams and those mobility teams have you know, are, are paying a closer eye on their own budgets and so on and so forth. Um, but now I think like, you know, that type of pressure can also be a really amazing catalyst um, to create the type of innovation that I think, you know, we're sort of on the cusp of, of starting to drive here. I think maybe that brings us uh, segues into a hot topic uh, within the industry, but also, you know, with, I guess, within tech as a whole, um, if you've been, you know, we have the whole open AI thing and just AI in general. So I guess, Greg, um, before we get into any uh, deeper questions, how would you define AI? Well, even just to take a step back, right? Eric, <laughs> it's like, uh, that's the other topic that's on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, so it's both like, Hey, uh, we're strapped here. We got to figure out ways to solve these problems and still continue to provide the service that we want to provide at a lower price point. Um, and by the way, what, what's AI and how does that, how's that going to impact global mobility? Is it going to take people's jobs? You know, what's it going to do? Right. And so, um, I think all of the regional relocation councils for people who are in that global mobility space, What's really exciting is that they're doing a lot of work uh, and putting on some really fantastic programming around this mm -hmm. uh, because it is an important topic for, you know, all HRs to understand um, and, and understand how it's going to impact 
the work that they do. It's going to impact how their vendors are operating and so on and so forth. Um, but I think one of the, the conversations I've had in the last couple of weeks is one of the most important parts is to understand like, what do you actually like, you know, AI broadly, what do you actually want to get out of it? What's your goal uh, in, in terms of how you would uh, deploy those types of technologies and, and to what ends and so on. And so I think if you take a little bit of a step back and think about what AI is more broadly, it's like people are like, oh my gosh, you know, open AI, it's all new. And it's like, well, hold on, you know, it's not, right? Like AI has been around for a very, very long time. Um, and if you think about, there are, you know, many different flavors of it. And those different flavors are particularly suited to some tasks in one particular situation and you know they're better suited for other tasks you know, using you know different tools and so on and so forth so i think understanding fundamentally what you as an organization want to accomplish that's the more important question and then it's about figuring out what are the tools that are going to help you accomplish those tasks and now some of those may be ai related some of them may not be right like mm -hmm. If you're going through and, and you have an enormous amount of like back office work where it's literally copying, you know, this file from this folder to this folder or from, you know, this invoice over into this folder or whatever, you know, there you're going to look at probably something more like robotic process automation or something like that. You don't necessarily need, it's not AI, but you need, there are sort of intelligent automation tools out there that can help streamline that processes and make you a hell of a lot more efficient in that regard. There's other situations where you're going to want to say, hey, I need to understand what's coming down the pipe in terms of I need to be able to predict a certain set of information or outcomes or, or things like that. Um, and that's sort of like the, you know, the, the machine learning and, and the natural language processing models and things like that can be really, really helpful um, in, in that type of situation. And then, of course, then you have the whole, you know, open AI, which is the, the current craze yeah. uh, things right now. Is, is AI, uh, I guess, what's the current state of AI? Like, are there, can it predict renewals or like when HRs need to take certain actions? Yeah. I mean, fortunately, like fortunately immigration is an incredibly data driven process in business. Right. Um, and even without AI, you know, you don't need AI to be able to determine, hey, when's, when's you know, Greg's H-1B going to require an extension or a renewal or whatnot. It is, however, it's one of the big advantages of having technology, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, if, if you're working with a traditional law firm who does everything on pen and paper and, and maybe tracks the stuff in a spreadsheet, they may be able to tell you when my H-1B is going to expire, but it's going to be harder for them to be able to do that proactively and, and to manage all that data and, and so on and so forth. That's, I think, one of the advantages that we have is we can say, hey, you know, Eric's H-1B is expiring on December 30th, Greg's is expiring on February 1st and so on and so forth. And we can automatically surface that in our application um, and then prompt people to, to take the necessary action in a timely fashion to make sure that, you know, you don't fall out of status and, and, and to make sure that no businesses are, you know, the business isn't impacted in any sort of way. You don't need necessarily AI for that, but there are certainly other things where that I get really excited about, about thinking about, like, how do we provide better service to clients and, and how do we prevent some of those questions that typically would come in? How do we prevent those types of questions from happening in the first place? 
And if we can, we have all the data and if we can crunch that data and we can say, all right, we know that for example, you know, um, you know, Greg's case is going to get filed in, in five business days. And we can tell you that, right? Like I can tell you with a high, high, high degree of certainty that your case is going to get filed in five days. That's really powerful, right? That's not looking backwards. That's looking forward, forward and telling you this is what's going to happen and when it's going to happen, right? Yeah. And then all the way, if you do that correctly, then you start to build trust with that person, right? Oh my God, he said my case was going to be filed in five days and guess what? It was. There's also things you can do like around like sentiment analysis where I go through and I look at all your communications to me and I can tell when you're really upset, right? I can tell when you're happy. I can tell when you're upset. Um, and you can use like sentiment analysis and, th- and tools like that to, once again, provide better service for those individuals who are, you know, terrified that or, or, or upset or, or whatever it may be that something's going on, something that, that could potentially negatively impact their career or their family or whatever that might be. Uh, and so you can provide better service. But once again, it comes back to that, you know, that point I was trying to make a couple of minutes ago. What is your goal and, and why are you trying to deploy these tools? Yeah. Right. Like, don't deploy a tool just to deploy a tool, yeah. right? Have a clear goal in mind about what you want to accomplish that and then find the right set of tools that actually help you, you know, do that effectively. When, 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 when speaking at, uh, or when, when attending the events, uh, that you've gone to, um, I guess zooming out, uh, how would you say, hold on, I'm going to scrap this. We got I got to I got to scrap that. <laughs> Um, okay. <clears throat> so I guess, Greg, you know, just looking, looking ahead, uh, we are recording this, as we mentioned, post Thanksgiving, um, at that time of the year when we're looking ahead to the new year, how do you see AI's influence on immigration programs and global mobility programs continuing to play out in 2024? Um, so I think it's going to play out in, in a number of, of different areas, right? Once again, the my personal goal with it is, is, is how do we make our internal teams more efficient? And by making them more efficient, how can we provide better service to our clients? You know, on both the, the legal side, the HR side, uh, and the, the employee side of things. And there's, there's a whole bunch of different tools that we're looking at um, that we're going to, you know, hopefully deploy in different ways to accomplish sort of that broader service goal. And, and that's really, if we can do that, then we can, we can be more efficient, right? So we can provide quicker answers. That's one way that we can use AI. It's amazing right now. You, you referenced OpenAI or, you know, ChatGPT a, a few moments ago. It's fantastic, obviously, at, at summarizing information. Um, that can allow us to provide a quicker, better answer, right? Now, obviously it's subject to oversight and reviewing it thoroughly and making sure that it's accurate and things like that. Um, But I think there are tools like that where it's gonna facilitate communication. It's gonna facilitate writing. So an example might be something along the lines of, you know, how do we use AI to provide better help text across our application, right? Um, You know, machine translation. I was actually in the elevator on the way up today. There was a has like one of those little TVs in the elevator. And you, of course you stare at it as you're, you know, going up to the 27th floor here. And, and there was something about like how Amazon's deploying this new tool uh, around like machine translation and, you know, a hundred different languages and, and they promise a, an accuracy of 98% or whatever it was. But I think 
those are things where you can take those tools and think about the experience you can provide, right? Like if someone's coming in and English isn't their first language and we're asking them for, you know, what's their highest uh, degree of education, that can mean different things in different languages, right? And that might be a bad example. But how do we translate on, on the fly for them? So we're presenting that in Spanish or in French or in German or, or Hindi or whatever that may be um, and giving that to them, like serve it up to them on a silver platter. You have a question about this here? We can help you answer that. Once again, it helps us then too, because then we get you know better data around it. So I think there's around that customer service part. Uh, I think it's gonna uh, do a lot there. Um, you know, I think uh, we're going to be looking at, you, you started to see this at, at work out in Boston too, where, you know, companies are, are looking at AI as a way of extracting data from documents and things like that. Um, once again, to sort of reduce that questionnaire burden that folks have, um, you know, because we need that information to be able to send that petition off to USCIS, but it's a question of how do we get that information? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of tools out there that are going to really sort of, sort of, more broadly improve that customer experience and by improving that customer experience freeing up lawyers paralegals other mobility teams to provide better service across the board is there an element of you know improving the service um is there maybe like a gamification element to it where you're you're you want to help uh, but in order to you know teach uh models or to glean those insights you need uh whether they're hrs or uh, foreign national employees using using the platform and services to uh complete certain tasks um to you know do the do action a do action b action c how are those at all related so we do use some gamification in, in our application right now. It's more about providing a richer onboarding experience for folks. Um, people like tasks, they, they like checklists, right? And they like checking stuff off and seeing that everything goes, everything is, you get your green check mark. So we, we do use uh, some of that, um, mostly to help provide a really rich onboarding experience for folks. Um, you know, I, I think, Anytime you're transitioning into a new application, whether it's as a completely new client or that client, an existing client hiring somebody new, there's always, always going to be a little bit of ramp up time. And so how do we reduce that ramp up time as much as possible and get people oriented and on their way and, and feel like that they are properly settled uh, and they know what they need to do and they know how to do it so we can kind of gamify that experience. Um, at the same time, providing some more contextual support around some of those more challenging areas um, to make sure that they don't feel like they're on their own, to make sure that they feel like they have that support across that entire immigration journey. Um, so we're not so much gamifying the, the data collection piece as figuring out ways of, of providing support in meaningful ways um, that helps our clients accomplish what they need to accomplish um, while at the same time making sure that, you know, they have the, the tools to do that successfully. Does that, does that help? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think it, 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 it's, it's, uh, awesome and interesting to hear is I think that kind of ties a little bit back into your, you know, what we were talking about earlier, where in the old days there was like B2B companies under this mindset of like, well, that's just kind of how it always is. And it's how it's always worked. Um, but I know, 
uh, hearing hearing some of those elements, incorporating them into the Envoy platform, just reminds me of some of these other like B two C, you know, either mobile apps or you're you're just kind of borrowing that to really like it's like yeah, we why can't we do this? Yeah, no, totally, and, and I think that should be the expectation of a client when they're looking for a vendor. They should that that should be their expectation. Um, that whatever solution that they go with can provide that level of interaction and support and, and handholding and so on and so forth. It's funny because I was talking to my my daughter just turned. She's old enough now. Uh, I'm dating myself here, but she's old enough now to get her, her learner's permit for driving. And I was like, all right, well, if you want to get it, you got to take a, apparently no one got to take a driving class because uh, her school doesn't offer that. And I was like, <laughs> um, so Google, figure out where the, nearest driving school is call them up and ask them what you need to do. And her response was like, wait, you want me to talk to somebody? Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody, right? Like, why can't I just, you know, text with them or chat with them? But but her point is, is like, as, as silly as I found that, like, she's, she's right, right? Like, yeah, people want to help and it's certain people want to pick up the phone, certain people want to email, right? Certain people don't want to have to talk to anybody, they want to be able to watch a video, read a quick article, uh, and get the help and support that they need to move on their way. And, and so I think as, as like an organization, we're trying to meet those users where they are, where they want that support, where they need that help. Um, and if they need to talk to somebody, obviously we want to, we, and we will always provide that to them, but we want to do it in such a way that the more we can reduce the amount of uh, interaction. So for example, our customer experience team is having with those folks the more time that customer experience team actually has to provide amazing white glove service to those people that really, really need it. Right. So like if, if there's a question that comes in around, I don't know, like something silly, like how how do I reset my password? Right. Do you really need to talk to a customer experience person to figure that out? No, you shouldn't have to, right. It should be really intuitive how to do that. Uh, And if it's not intuitive, there should be tools that, that provide that support, exactly where you need it to, which is forgot password, click, how do I yep. do that, right? Yep. And so I, I think there's a, a whole bunch of um, support infrastructure that we're gonna be able to build out around our application and, and sort of more broadly within the space um, that provides that type of, of customer experience that people are really looking for yep. and, and generally they deserve. Yeah, definitely. Uh... I will say it's, uh, I definitely share the share, share that sentiment of not wanting to talk to people on the phone. Uh, okay. still something, still something I do. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I hear, I hear you on that, that, uh, definitely there are some of those instances where, yeah, like you don't need to talk to that live person. If you're able to provide that value, that information up front. I think it's also a level of trust, right? You're going to, you're going to trust that, if, if you provide the answers, that the person is going to find it and they're going to click around and all that. 100%. And I think, you know, that theme of trust is something that's so, so important, particularly yeah. in our space. I mean, you know, we deal with medical records and financial records and, and really like intimate details of a person's entire, you know, life history and, and that of their family. And so, we have to work every single day to earn that trust uh, and maintain that trust. And I think um, there's a lot of ways that you can show that, but um, you know, and that's everything from 
the security measures that we put in place, like mm-hmm. we spend an enormous amount of time and energy on, on data security, right? But that's the right thing to do, given the type of data with which we're dealing and, and you know, the uh, responsibility that we have to the people with whom we work and so on and so forth. But there's also then the trust in what we're showing you is accurate and timely and correct and so on and so forth. And that the support we're providing is accurate and timely and contextually relevant for, you know, the question you might have. Those are all different elements of trust. And, and so bring that all together. Like if you do that successfully, that's when sort of the magic happens. That's when sort of that light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, my God, you know, this is awesome, right? I know our, exactly where I am in the immigration process. I know what I need to do next. I have full confidence that my data is being treated properly and securely. I have full confidence in my legal team that if I have a question that they're going to pick up the phone or they're going to hop onto a, you know, a thread with me and answer my question. All of that together, right? That's the type of client experience that you want to provide. And um, you know, I think there's a lot of industries that do a fantastic job of that. Uh, and I think you know, we're certainly moving strongly in that direction. And hopefully we just continue to, you know, continue down that road. Speaking of roads, what's ahead for you and the uh, Envoy Global product team in 2024 that you're able to share? Thought I'd try, thought I'd try. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like tons of exciting stuff. Um Little too early to talk about that in, in detail. I think the themes that we've talked a little bit about here today are certainly going to be relevant going into next year. Um, you know, for for my team uh, on the on the on the training side of things, um, we're rolling out actually a couple of new features. Well, on the training and on the support side of things, we're rolling out. Um, couple of big features actually next end of this week, uh, which I'm super excited about. That is going to provide much, much better support uh, within the application for HRs and for foreign nationals. Uh, it's even going to provide dedicated support for individual companies within that, which will be really exciting. Um, so I'm super excited about that one. Um, we'll, we will, certainly will be spending more and more time on, on mobile next year. Um, I don't think there's any like particular secret about that. It's how people are operating right now, right? Like, do you have a scanner at home? Probably not. If you, I mean, maybe you do, but probably not, right? And yet, like, if you think about immigration, it's a really document-heavy business. Well, how do you get those documents if you're an employee, right? Maybe you take them into work, but, you know, we're all remote now. So how do you capture your, a picture of your passport or a picture of your you know, marriage certificate or whatever it is? So I think there's things that we can do in, in that regard that, um, you know, help streamline that process, the data collection process uh, and things like that. So, um, you know, a lot of the, the big projects that we have, well, I think we'll be keeping uh, within some of the broader themes that we've talked about here today is like, how do we improve the client experience for the foreign national? And by improving the foreign national experience, you can also, by the way, it helps improve the HR experience, right? Because you don't have someone knocking on your door. Um, you know, I was talking with somebody out in LA a couple of weeks ago and they're like, you know, every day I go out and it's awesome. Like I have my whole day planned. It's fantastic. All right. I have this time, you know, time blocked off to work on this project and this project. And invariably someone comes by and they just knock on my door and they're like, Hey, I'm traveling tomorrow. And how is this going to impact my you know, visa status or whatever? And their day, it just gets blown up. Right. So how do, how do we help them 
their day not get blown up, right? Are there things that we can do to help give them uh, a little bit more clarity around that so that they can just absorb that and, you know, it doesn't, you know, sort of shake them. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of stuff in, in that regard. Um, but we'll get into more details as we get closer and we actually start rolling that out. I always learned my, my wife was in sales and I learned the hard way. You never tell like a salesperson what you're going to build before you actually build it because, you know, they'll go out and sell it. And <laughs> not going to give you that either. Hey, no, all good. All good. Uh, I just, I think that's, uh, yeah, everyone will just have to stay tuned and uh, be sure to yeah, check sure. out envoyglobal.com. There's, there's going to be some cool stuff coming. Awesome. Sure. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Um, well, Greg, have a, I've, I've had a great time chatting with you uh, more about the space, AI, and other technology, but I kind of wanted to wrap things up to just talk a little bit more on how you, op- as an industry leader, how you operate in your day-to-day and also just throughout your career. Um, you started, you know, you build the product roadmaps, you oversee it, um, and a lot of the focus today has been on AI, you know, just using that term generally. Um, but as you know, there are technologies that pop up that are like the hot new thing not saying you're always going to incorporate them in immigration but if we think to like a few years back right everyone was talking like crypto or web 3.0 and now no one talks about those how do you balance things of interest um hot interest they're always in the news you're just seeing them everywhere how do you balance those with the unknowns uh when building a product roadmap like you have your goals and objectives but you know, a lot of people are talking about the hot new thing. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's a great question, Eric. I think it comes back to also going out and actually just talking to people, understanding what their problems are and why they have those problems. Um, obviously, it, it's absolutely critical to, to you know stay current on on you know new tech that's being rolled out how people are using it, you know, what your competitors are using it and why. Um, I think your point earlier around uh, about, you know, AI sort of being the current buzzword or or flavor of the month is is true. It's not to say that it's not going to fundamentally change things. I think it clearly is, and it already has in a lot of ways. But I will stand fast by that comment I had earlier about, you know, what are, what are your problems that you're fundamentally trying to solve and then figure out tools that solve those problems. Now, a lot of the tools that solve those problems don't need to be the, you know, the, the shiniest new object on the block, right? Like there's a lot of problems that can be solved, a lot of low hanging fruit that can be addressed by, you know, long existing technology out there. Um, I think too, it's about looking across into other industries under other spaces and seeing how people have solved similar problems in different domains. And I think like from a product perspective, I think that's one thing that product managers tend to do really well is a, they like actually going out and talking to customers and understanding what their problems are. And if they don't, they probably shouldn't be in product management, right? So understanding your clients, understanding what their problems are and why they have those problems um, and understanding like not just, hey, why do you do X, Y and Z, but really understanding like five times. Ask that. Right. There's there's this whole framework around the five whys. Ask why five times and then you'll finally get to like an answer that's that's kind of interesting. Um, 
but the more you sort of start peeling back that onion, then you really get into what that core problem is. How you solve that core problem is a, is a different question. Maybe you need RPA for that. Maybe you need, um, you know, maybe you need generative AI for that. Maybe you need uh, natural language processing or, you know, optical character recognition or some tech out there that is going to go ahead and, and, and help you address that problem. But the technology isn't the problem. The technology is a way of helping solve the problem in the first, right? And so it's it's a little bit different. Like you, you got to be able to understand what's out there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're going to use the newest, best thing out on the market to solve what's you know potentially a pretty easy problem if you just kind of understand it really thoroughly. Got it. Definitely. Any advice for folks trying to grow their careers as product managers? Um, I don't know if I'm like, once again, like I have like the, the unorthodox, uh, career path. So I don't know if I'm the best <laughs> on these types of things. I, like, I think the, the same advice I would give on almost anything is like, you know, be curious, um, be willing to go deep. Uh, but try to also be able to step back and, and see the forest through the trees. Um, those are the types of skill sets that I think are never going to go out of style uh, and are, and are going to serve you really, really well, regardless of, of what you end up doing. Um, I do think you have to be interested in the domain in order to really be successful. If, if it's a, if it's a domain space that you're like, eh, you know, I could sort of take it or leave it are you going to really be able to and interested and willing to put the time in to really fundamentally solve or understand the problem at a really deep level? Um, and I've been fortunate, you know, throughout my career to have a whole bunch of those, whether it's, you know, e-commerce, whether it's, you know, online marketing, whether it's immigration now and sort of mobility more broadly, those are all things that I'm just deeply interested in, right? Like these are industries that are, that have really interesting problems. Um, and so it's, I'm like super, super fortunate to be able to try to solve some small part of those. Oh, and just work with really smart people. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, well, Greg, any, any final thoughts that we didn't get into? Um, anything you'd like to plug, um, where can lis listeners find you, interact with you, things like that? Um, not huge on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, uh, and it has any questions, obviously delighted uh, to talk. I could geek out about this stuff all day long, as you know, unfortunately. <laughs> like, like we've had enough webinars together where you're like, oh my God, stop talking. Um, but more than happy, to, you know, if, if folks do have questions or, you know, ideas, um, would love to hear from people. Um, but it's been awesome talking. I appreciate that. Definitely. Time. Yeah, of course. Uh, we will have you back, back on. Uh, maybe when some of those uh, little sneak peeks you were mentioning uh, are released, we can chat more about those. Um, what does next year look like for you in terms of events? Um, people can find you at corporate roundtables, regionals, uh, national events, things yeah, like that. I think we'll probably go to you know BAM and uh, I guess what March. Um, I think we're still kind of working out what that schedule is going to be. Um, so hopefully they'll, they'll let me out of, you know, <laughs> let me out of the stable and let me go to something. <laughs> fun. And you learn a lot, right? Yeah. Like it, it's super interesting to 
to meet people that are having like different problems in slightly different areas. You know, maybe that's in Relo or maybe that's in, you know, global tax or things like that. But it's like, how do you take all those little different puzzle pieces and, and compile it in, into one puzzle is, is, is the really fun and exciting part. And so I love going to those because you just, I've never gone to one where I've walked away and been like, huh, I didn't learn anything new, right? I'm always learning something new with those. Love it. There you go. Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for the time today. Um, have a good rest of your day and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Take care. You too.